0: I'm Sam Slater from Von Calibre and today I've been joined by Ben Wallace, co-manager of the Janice Henderson Absolute Return Fund. Hi Ben.
1: How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um,
0: I thought we'd start with the fact that this fund used to be more focused on the UK, but you've now got a more global remit with it. How have you used this flexibility and has it been a benefit over the last year or so?
1: It's interesting. We, we um, started the process of kind of giving ourselves the flexibility with the ability to, mess, to invest more overseas probably about five years ago. And, and actually, our rationale back then was very much that whilst we invested in London listed equities, you know, the FTSE 100 had very little to do with the domestic economy. So you know, you go through the biggest 10 companies in London. It was Unilever, Billiton, BP, Shell, HSBC. So it was a really global index. So so what we found was that we were spending a lot of our time doing research on these global companies. And quite often, we were finding a better way to express that long or that short view in a stock that was listed outside of London. So that's what drove the decision. Interestingly, the last 12 months, um, we haven't used it that much the international. It's not particularly gone up, um, per se. But where we found ourselves where we did use it was probably about three or four years ago when we were in the real eye of the Brexit storm. We found that a lot of domestic equities were being really knocked around by the kind of weekly Brexit news flows you probably remember. And the other issue UK equity specifically had is that because in the FTSE 100, let's say, 75% of the earnings are international earnings as sterling was moving around between $1.20 to $1.60, I think, you know, during that kind of four or five years of Brexit talks, that was really moving around a lot of UK equities daily as well. So having that flexibility to invest outside the Brexit noise was great for us.
0: And you mentioned shorting there. At the moment, I think you've got some, your short some index derivatives. Could you perhaps explain what these are and why you're doing that?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, so, we're obviously conscious that you know we're trying to deliver uh, an absolute return to investors. So part of that is always trying to manage a bit of the downside as, as kind of markets have, have bumpy periods. Now, in general, we prefer to um, be short, you know, have negative bets on companies that we think are vulnerable or can or can fall or can be overvalued. But I think at the moment we're quite conscious that there is a lot of corporate activity out there. There's a lot of private equity activity out there. So actually, the the stock-specific risk of being short lots of names is quite elevated. So therefore, we're using some index futures just to protect the downside of the portfolio in case we go through a rocky period in markets.
0: And I noticed you're also invested in Berkshire Hathaway, which is the company owned by legendary investor Warren Buffett. Can you perhaps tell us a bit more about that?
1: Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, yeah that, an example of one of our kind of international holdings. Now, interestingly, the reason we like it is that, um, you know, Barclay Hathaway's primary, primary business is obviously insurance-based. That That's sort of where the origins are. But as the years have gone by and obviously, you know, uh, an immensely successful business and track record, um, they've invested in lo- lots of quoted companies, for example. So I think broadly they've got a $50 billion stake in Apple, for example. The reason we like the actual Berkshire Hathaway equity, though, is that if we add up all the stakes that Berkshire Hathaway has in quoted companies, we then knock off the cash in the business, we think the earnings multiple that you're paying for Berkshire's operating businesses is only about six times earnings. So to us, that looks a really undervalued equity. Um, Now, without getting too morbid, and, and bear with me on this one, um, the only reason we don't have more is because obviously you've got a situation where both Charlie Munger, um, kind of we've like Warren Buffett's partner in crime, and Warren Buffett himself are both in their 90s. And whilst I think they've got lieutenants in place who broadly run the business, I would imagine if, if Mother Nature takes its course at some point, um, you know, these gentlemen are reasonably old, um, you might have a negative reaction on day one if, if one of them was to, to unfortunately pass away. But actually, I think in the fullness of time, there's actually just a big conglomerate discount in this business. And actually, I think the pressure to split the group up would actually increase both the passing of either of these gentlemen. And it's interesting, it's something that Buffett himself has said in a, in a public forum that he thought the sum of the parts was worth a lot more than the value of the group. And ultimately, that would probably be realized at some point in the future. So that's our rationale and thesis for holding it if with a slightly morbid twist that I had to throw in for the, for the benefit of the listeners.
0: And I've just been talking to my boss, Darius, about the outlook for next year, and he's basically said he doesn't think anyone knows what's going to happen. It's a, There's too, so many uncertainties. The, the only thing he thought was that actually volatility is going to be pretty high, particularly in the first quarter, yep. just as things sort of pan out and we perhaps get a better idea of the new variant and things mm-hmm. like that. In that type of environment with this heightened volatility, how could be invested in this fund help?
1: Yeah. So I would say if I look back over, I guess, let's say we've had the strategy as a whole is probably year 17 of the strategy. On average, we tend to do better in periods of slightly elevated volatility. As long as it's... Volatility, we get our heads round and the stock dispersion, so on. And I think that's because on average, we have just over half the capital in the fund invested in what we call the tactical book, which are shorter term, slightly more opportunistic um, ideas, both on the long and the short book. So generally, volatility is something that we're we're not afraid of. And, and, and I think we, you know, we 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 probably share Darius's view that you know it, it feels like. You know, there's a lot of kind of um, different currents in the markets, whether it be interest rates, inflation, COVID, that, that are all sort of colliding, you know, pretty frequently, it feels like, um, um, which makes market interesting.
0: And um, crystal ball time or just general thoughts, I suppose, if you had to pick one market in the world at the moment, which would be the one that you're most positive about and which would be the one that you're most negative about?
1: Yes, yeah, interesting. So um, I will caveat this by saying that quarterly uh, markets is definitely not my forte. Uh, if that's what I've been asked to do over the past, you know, twenty-five years of running money, I don't think I'd be here if that's how um. But saying that, if, if I sort of go with, you know, put our money where our mouth is, sort of where do we have more net long exposure and where do we have less exposure? Interesting, the area where we put money back into is actually uh, London listed equities. And 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 I think to us it feels a bit of an uh, an area that's almost feels a bit of an orphan stock market. I think having gone through the whole process of Brexit, I think a lot of international investors took kind of capital out of the UK market. I think given how well you know some of the U.S. technology areas have done, again a lot of actually domestic capital has actually flowed out towards some of the international markets, and I think it's left the UK looking attractively valued. And I don't think it's a, co- a coincidence that we've seen a lot of private equity activity, a lot of kind of takeover activity sort of happen in, in, in UK equities themselves. So that's an area where I would say in terms of our investable universe, where we've been net buyers. And, and so therefore I would say I'm optimistic. The area where we have almost no capital on the long side is in what I would say is the high US growth areas of the market now. And, and, and it's interesting because I wouldn't say that we're necessarily hugely negative on it because there's some, you know, obviously some uh, amazing businesses in there. And when I say U.S. high growth, it's interesting. I don't mean the Googles and books of the world, but I mean there are multiples. I think they look pretty reasonable given the growth rate, and cash generation of those businesses. I think it's in the much more... You know, 20 to 50 times sales, the SaaS uh, software companies, um, a lot of those type of businesses, we just sort of struggle with the valuations, but to be fair, we struggled with the valuations for a long time. And to me, they look vulnerable if bond yields go up, but equally, if world economies struggle next year and bond yields are lower and money goes keep going, they're very dangerous things to be short of. So I would say it's somewhere that we don't feel comfortable investing in long. You know, equally, have been doing this long enough to know that, you know, you really want to take momentum on on the short side. But it's something we're observing, but definitely not somewhere where we're committing long capital.
0: Many people are kind of saying that it's a year for a lot of balance within the portfolio. So that if we have this volatility, you know, if value has a rally, um, then you have a little bit of that in there. But equally, if we then go back to growth, you have some of that. And it's just not really the year for one-way bets. When you've got a a portfolio where you can go long, so investing in the companies for the long term and those that you think the share price is going to go down, would you have more shorts in an environment like this? Or is the balance perhaps where you were talking earlier about the index derivatives and actually you're getting that balance by not betting on particular stocks, but you're actually saying, okay, if something goes wrong, that's how we're going to make the money?
1: Yeah. So, so the, the way I would look at it is, let's say the kind of growth versus value debate, for example. So, so my view is that we'll always let the bottom up, if we're longer growth or shorter value or, or whichever way we end up, we'll let the bottom up drive that. But we'll never let ourselves get into a position where the entire performance of the fund is is dictated by a factor, i.e. growth or value, because I don't think that's what people pay us to do. But I guess what I'd say is if I observe what we're seeing bottom up, we are definitely finding good long ideas in what I would call the value bucket, and specifically within areas like insurance and so on. Um, and, and the reason we like this sector is there's a lot of good companies out there. Take someone like Alil in general, just to throw in a name. Um, they're doing good returns on equity, you know, yield almost 7%, growing the dividend at mid single digits. They just look to be undervalued, cheap shares. And actually, what I like about them is they're generating these strong returns despite the fact that interest rates are de minimis, despite the fact that bond yields are low. So actually, if that changes and bond yields go up, inflation sustains, it's actually a tailwind for these businesses. So for me, that's a great place to invest. On the growth side, again, I think what's interesting is there's plenty of growth stuff that I can see has re-rated a lot as bond yields have fallen over the last decade. And if I look at some of those businesses, I think they've really improved. And so it's justified. And actually, there could be more upside. And I think there's plenty of those businesses that have re-rated just because bond yields have fallen and in some cases, the business dynamics are actually not quite as good as they were. So for us, we're, we're always looking for the stock-specific kind of opportunities. And as I said, if I had to encapsulate our current positioning, we're probably slightly long value relative to growth. But even within growth, we've got plenty of growth longs and plenty of growth shorts. But I would view it, you know, if I had to look at, you know, if I could sort of Wave my magic wand and say, right, I would love this to happen to the market because I think our fund will do better in this environment. I would say, let's have a bit of volatility. That would be nice. Let's have bond yields and interest rates up a bit from here. That would be nice. And let's have UK equities not be the worst performing equity market again in in 2022. Those type of things I think would be quite good backdrops for us given our current bottom up positioning. But what I would always tell yourself, Sam, and, and your listeners is, you know, we react to what we see in front of, of us. And, and I think that's the reason why we're in business this many years later is, I'll tell you this today, but if the facts change, as the famous saying goes, you know, we will change our positioning as we deem appropriate.
0: What do you think it will take for the UK to actually start performing But I think another manager that I was speaking to said that, as you mentioned earlier, private equity firms are buying other companies, overseas companies are buying their peers. Yeah. But no one's actually buying UK stocks. What? Yeah. What will it take for
1: people to get back in? You know what? I'll, I'll be honest, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I wish I could kind of give you, um, you know, maybe it's just got to be that the scars last a long time. So we just need that more regulatory stability, political stability. Uh, you know, I, I'll be honest, I, I, I do not know the answer. But, but my view is if the value's there, and as long as we can kind of control the performance of the fund and the volatility of the fund while still seeking out these opportunities that have no obvious catalyst but have definite upside or downside, then that's what we've got to do and we've got to manage the risk around it. Um, but yeah, I wish there was a, a silver bullet, like a spot on the horizon that would, would change things.
0: That was a really interesting conversation. Thank you.
1: Fantastic, Sam. Thanks for your time. Much appreciated. <laughs>
0: And if you'd like to find out more about the Janice Henderson Absolute Return Fund, please go to fundcalibre.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast. Please remember we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or to sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of your listening.